0: listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Jenna Baron, news editor at ST Times. I'm talking with Panit Gupta, CEO uh, and co-founder of Amberflow. They're a FinOps company that is built on the idea of metering and usage-based pricing. Since cost is such a big conversation when you talk about the cloud, I'm going to be talking with Puneet about this model, how it compares to other pricing models, and some of the pros and cons. So, before we get into all that, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners so they kind of understand the context from which you'll be speaking?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Jenna, thank you. Great to have, be on your show. Uh, my name is Puneet Gupta. I'm the founder and CEO of amberflow.io. We're a San Francisco Bay Area-based startup about three years in. And as you called out, we provide or enable our customers to shift to a usage-based pricing and billing model. And uh, within that, we provide what we call a cloud metering and usage-based pricing and billing platform.
0: Before we get into usage based pricing specifically, can you sort of explain what the different pricing models out there are?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess, you know, what is the most common today, or at least has been for a while, is what we call uh, the traditional subscription, or just, you know, basically known as the subscription model. And uh, the most popular flavor of this is usually a seat. Or user based model. So, you know, classic Salesforce, $99 per user per month or $50 per user per month. And that's kind of your subscription model. But within that, there's some nuances. Typically, the money is collected upfront. There's usually a 12 month or 36 month term, even though the models are mostly billed as, you know, monthly, but most of the times the transactions are at least yearly or even uh, longer than that. So that's the, the most popular uh, pricing and business model uh, that's out there today. And we've kind of seen the rise of usage-based pricing and billing. Um, I think it's a little bit open-ended, you know, where it kind of really first came from. I think a lot of credit goes to AWS. I was there in AWS in the early days. I saw the growth of this model um, and the scale of it. I think they certainly popularized it. I don't know if they were the pioneers of it, Um, but this is where companies offer their products and services to their customers on a usage or consumption basis. So you only pay for how much and what you use.
0: What do you think the advantages are of usage-based pricing? And are there particular scenarios where it would be particularly advantageous to use this pricing model?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I think the advantages are several. And, um, and i think good news is i think we can now point to some definitive case studies and other examples where it has come out true um and i think generally uh broad strokes people are generally now aligned that this is a better more fair more transparent business model and i think things are shifting in in this direction so what are these advantages um first is you know it is just a uh, apples to apples, a more superior model because it is aligned to value, right? So, so think about, you know, when we say usage-based model or usage-based pricing, the operative term is usage. So if there is usage, then there's a direct correlation to value, right? If somebody is using, actually using your product, then they must be getting value. That's what's bringing them back into the product and service to drive usage. So that's sort of the first uh big advantage of this model contrast that with a traditional seat-based subscription model that we just talked about where you are literally sort of arrive at how many users you're going to need and then there's a 12-month term and then you basically the i call it so the customers kind of left holding the bag or in that model customers kind of carrying all the risk right so whether they end up using as much even as many users and even for each user how much they're actually using it as anybody's guess there's no incentive to really track or usage track any aspect of it. So that right off the bat is the big uh differentiation. And from there, uh there are other advantages on the usage-based model that starts to fall out, which companies who have gone down this path, Jenna, have now realized there's just no turning back, it's that much profoundly better uh model. So it then ripples into driving greater operational efficiency. So think about this, right? If you implement a usage-based pricing model, you have to track usage. A side positive effect of that is, you get visibility into how your customers are using your product. You pretty much get that on a real-time basis. That starts to influence your product and development teams. The pace of innovation increases. You get more better at targeting what features should be worked on. So it's, it's this massive virtuous cycle that it creates, and that's why you will see that the companies who have actually made the shift or started with it have never looked back and are only doubling down on it.
0: Now that we've kind of sung the praises of it, what are some, like, disadvantages that companies should or might want to be aware of?
1: Yeah, so uh, I would, you know, say that... Uh, it's one of those things where if you're comparing, then, you know, I, I would say there's there's not really an, any inherent disadvantages, but there is a little bit of a hill to climb, so to speak. Okay. And yes, you know, right off the bat, uh, it will take a little bit more effort and thought process to get in the front of this to get this thing situated, right? So it is a little bit of a heavier lift, you know. It's not your typical sort of back of the envelope, get a couple of you know PMs together in a room and just arbitrarily come up with a per seat pricing, you know, $99 or $150 per user per month. And you set that figure arbitrarily high enough that you know, okay, my cost and margins are covered and, and that becomes the pricing model. In a usage-based pricing model, you have to put some infrastructure in place. You have to sort of think it through You have to align what my back-end costs are and then what is the value that I can claim on my cost that then influences what the markup is that I'm going to put on top of my back-end cost. So there's a little bit more of a data-backed exercise, if you would, that's needed to kind of get this thing situated right. But then, like I said, on the Positive side, once you get this going, it's a virtual cycle that keeps spinning faster and faster. Okay, So yes, you do need a little bit more tooling. You do need a little bit more plumbing. You'll need something that we call a metering uh, infrastructure. You'll need to start usage tracking uh, at a pretty granular level. What is being used by whom, when, what, where, how much. You want to be able to then disseminate or make that information available to different parts of your businesses, different functional areas inside your business. So you need a... In modern next generation tooling. So from that perspective, it's it's a little bit of a heavier lift compared to the traditional model. But like I said, once you get it going and don't take my word for it, I mean, just look at companies who've gone down this path. Uh, you know, they're just doubling down on it.
0: I would think that one of the challenges for like a company that's like paying for something using usage-based pricing is that it maybe it's harder to predict what your costs will be month to month because if you have like a heavy usage month compared to like a low usage month it's like your cost will be more variable than if you were like just paying per user so how how can like companies kind of plan for that
1: yeah uh, good point uh so let, let's unpack that uh and i think you know that this comes up quite often uh sort of as a Challenge with usage-based pricing, so more in terms of so what is the forecasting, the level of visibility I can have, predictability. Um, so here's the thing: yes, first is it is a different model, like we said. You know, we don't have, we don't start off by just saying x number of users, time y number of per user per month price. So this is what it is. But here's the thing: so again, I will just lean back to what I've been saying, if there were some structural problems, inherent problems in this model, it would have been dialed back uh, long back ago. I'll give uh, the audience some visibility on how people get ahead of this this problem. It's a valid concern, right? but uh, I would put it under the context that this thing comes up purely really as a function of growing pains. All it is indicating is you don't have the right tooling and infrastructure in place. So let me tell you how perhaps we used to do it at AWS, okay. First and foremost, um, one of the myths about usage-based pricing is that, you know, it is sort of this model where you pay as you go and you, you pay in arrears, right? That is only just one form of the usage-based pricing model. And in fact, it's not even one of the popular ones. So very few of the uh, customers actually Use this model and usually is reserved for sort of the early days or, you know, when somebody's trying something out. The more popular model is what we call a prepay or commit with a drawdown. Okay. And I'm outlining this because you can see why companies have gotten ahead of this and why this is not a problem the forecast, uh, forecasting and the predictability. So, what is this prepay commit with a drawdown? You know, by and large, when you're getting into it, you know, what your average or what your monthly usage is going to be. You project that forward for 12 months and you say, you know, I'm going to prepay $100,000 to you as the vendor, because uh, I know I'll be consuming at least that, that much. So there you have it. $100,000 either gets collected up front or gets committed up front. That gives finance teams the visibility both on both sides uh, that, okay, hundred k of budget is committed to this service from the customer side from the vendor side, that's 100K of bookings that I have. And then you still draw down against that on a metered basis, right? So you meter on a monthly basis what's actually being consumed. And yes, there is that fluctuation on month over month, but you'll see sort of in the fullness of time, they sort of kind of leveled out. And as you get more and more customers, the overall spike in your overall forecast sort of gets streamlined and and sort of, you know, becomes more of a smooth line. Uh, so that is really the the only thing that you have to kind of deal with. From a RevRec perspective on this model, it's pretty clear. Uh, you collect the money, you book the money, you basically draw down and RevRec as the consumption is happening. In some cases, at the end of 12 months, there's a true up. So even if the customer didn't use it, they are committed to that because they probably got a discount at the front of it. So that's how you kind of draw this visibility through a usage-based model.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking of how I like my phone bill is kind of usage based pricing because it's like I pay for a certain number of gigabytes per month. and then if I use more, I have to like pay the excess. Um, so I guess like people probably are using this model and in, in their day to day more than you might think. Um, yeah, and,
1: uh, and you know, just on that, Jenna, I think uh, one of the things that perhaps is often overlooked. So if you know if we, we might even ask the question, okay, where did this come from even in the first place? I mean, who in their mind thought about doing usage-based pricing when the landscape was essentially a traditional subscription? Because as we discussed, it's clearly it's a heavy lift. And you gotta wonder, if you ask the question, what went through the head of you know that first company who did it, because it's a heavier lift, you're going against the grain. Today we can say there's enough evidence that this is kind of an emerging and and a better model. But back then, right? you're certainly going against the grain. I think one of the things that's uh, often overlooked on why usage-based pricing, should I do it? Should I not do it? Is it right for me? Is it not right for me? Think about it this way. Uh, And I think this has worked well uh, when I've had conversations, people find this helps them internalize it. See, if you are, if your business is in the cloud, whether you're a cloud native or you're moving to the cloud, you're getting situated in the cloud, think about this. Cloud by definition is elastic. What we call cloud computing is really elastic computing. Cloud is essentially a euphemism for elasticity. So if your backend is elastic, when you're consuming your cloud resources on an elastic basis, you're dialing them up and dialing them down. The wisdom would sort of align with the fact that in the fullness of time, your front end also has to be elastic for you to drive maximum operational efficiency in the middle. Right. And what I mean by that, your front end has to be elastic. If you're paying your to your cloud provider on an elastic basis, you probably also have to charge your customers on an elastic basis to drive that full alignment between front end and back end. And that really was the thrust for usage-based pricing to really land on the scene. And that's why you know we saw the early days of it started with the infrastructure players, right? Then it's kind of shifted to the PaaS, anybody offering any kind of a Past type product, these are kind of the low-hanging fruit uh, for usage-based pricing and billing. And now we're kind of seeing this trend go further up uh, into the traditional SaaS applications landscape where you have catalysts like generative AI LLM that are getting infused into traditional applications. And LLMs, generative AI, any form of AI, ML is basically uh, a cloud-native primitive, and it is elastic by nature. In fact, anybody's model that you're using, they're probably charging you on a usage-based model based on number of queries or prompts. So that's going to ripple into how you're going to charge for your products and services to your customers.
0: Do you have any predictions for how usage-based pricing may evolve over the next couple of years?
1: Uh, I think so. My prediction is that, hands down, this is going to become the dominant model. I think the subscription model, as we know it, what I call the fixed subscription, the seat-based or user-based, I think that's on its way out. In fact, so much so, my view is that that was an aberration in the industry. It was never supposed to happen. You know, think about it. You know, everything that you know, Jenna, you and I do and have been doing, like we go when we stay at a hotel, we pay for the nights we stay. We pay for the miles we fly. We pay for the food we eat. We pay for the food we buy. The human economy as we know it has always been consumption usage based. So, this uh, subscription thing was really an outlier and it was really one sided where the customer was carrying all the risk. So, uh, for all the things we talked about, one is sort of that natural tendency, it was a skewed model, not customer friendly. So, there's always been pressure against that. And now there are these other trends, these macro level uh, vectors and like AI, ML that are coming into your technology stack. They're also driving pressure towards going into usage-based models. So my view is that it's going to become the dominant model. Uh, We're certainly going to see a lot of variations. So I like to say that it does have a wide surface area, you know, because... For your business, it may not be just compute or APIs, it could be the number of miles the car travels or what kinds of miles or you know where it was traveled. Whatever that is, so there's a wide surface area, but uh, I think as technology and infrastructure becomes available, where more and more companies can sort of automate this and build this, uh, I think we'll become the dominant model.
0: So at the end of every episode, I always like to ask, what is like one key takeaway from our conversation that you'd want listeners to to leave this episode with?
1: Yeah, I think for, um, I would say uh, to your listeners, uh, you know, lean in, uh, don't be scared by it. I think, you know, as I mentioned, and I conceded, yes, it is a little bit of a heavier lift. It will require uh, cross-collaboration inside your business alignment. Uh, there is not something that could be sort of done one off to the side. Uh, lean in. Uh, the sooner you get ahead of this, believe me, uh, this is a gift that keeps on giving. And uh, the sooner you get on this train, the sooner you get on this bandwagon, lean into it. Uh, good news is today, there's technologies platforms available that will help you fast track it and uh, get ahead of it um, and you will thank me i mean just there's stuff other stuff coming you know generative ai ml we talked about there's more stuff coming down the pipe that's going to force you in this direction so the sooner you kind of get on it uh, i think you would be better served